you know, most people get a job at a company or a nonprofit or a government agency. They develop some skills, realize they like it or don't, use those skills and what their experience to find, try something else or to move up a ladder. And next thing they know, they're an expert in something that they didn't even know existed, you know? And if they like it, they found a way to flourish. And you're right, like with few exceptions, life is not you get off the college train Across the platform, and there's another train waiting that's just your whole life ahead of you. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Gardner. Welcome, Brad. Thanks, Tiffany. We were just sharing how excited we are to be back in studio together, and we are welcoming back to the studio, Johan Neem. Welcome. Thanks. It's nice to be back. For our listeners who didn't get a chance to catch part one, you can go back and listen to that. Please do. And visit our website for additional resources. It's digitaltolearn.com. For now, we're going to continue on with our conversation. Tiffany mentioned earlier your article that appeared in the Chronicle of Higher Ed, where you proposed that the university is in ruins. <laughs> Tell us more about that characterization. Yeah, well, the framework itself comes from a book by Bill Readings called The University in Ruins that was published in 1996. So I borrowed the concept from Readings. And what he meant is that the university was no longer tethered to a purpose higher than itself. It used to be, he argued, that universities saw themselves in service to the nation state. And so they said, through the kind of education we provide, we offer expertise and we develop civic leaders. And we ensure that the United States or whatever country you're part of would be a world leader. But in this case, the United States would be a world leader. Globalization, in many ways, eroded that connection between universities and the nation state in two ways. One is it created an ideology that for many academics that were trying to transcend the nation. But economically, it created, as we know, a whole new set of economic tensions for those concerned with producing a vibrant economy within the United States. But as that connection eroded, universities lost sight of what they exist for. So they kind of exist for themselves now. And I think that's one of the reasons they become these kinds of shopping malls, that they don't have a purpose. So how do you decide what you should have in and what you should have out? other than putting everything in and just saying, if it enrolls, it's good. Hmm. So I guess that's what I mean by ruins, you know, that their universities now are somewhat the remnants of institutions that once lived for another purpose, but the life is gone. In other words, our universities are zombies. If you go all the way with it, right? They're zombies. And then the question we have is, will they be replaced with new life forms? And some of the innovations and innovators are suggesting new kinds of life forms or whether they're actually still alive and we can kind of revive them or help them recover. Hmm. So would you say one of the primary purposes now for universities as they look at themselves is let's enroll more students or let's not be caught up in this decline that we're seeing. What can we do that would be fancy and shiny and bright? Totally. I mean, I think that's right. And I think the other thing, which in some ways reflects globalization, is the focus on vocational training, mm. right? So this, they're all connected, right? How do we 
bring in more students? How do we offer programs that students want rather than we would say students need because of our higher purposes? How do we respond to globalization's pressures to ensure a skilled, educated workforce? How do we respond to legislative pressures? All of these things are working in tandem mm. and they've undermined other goods like the desire for basic research, the importance of cultivating intellectual virtues. You know, those things are pushed to the side. The humanities, which were once the core of the university, are now in many ways marginal to the purposes of the modern university. What innovations or promises have you heard about opportunities to save higher ed? Are there certain things that people are coming around saying, this is going to be it? This is, this is what the future of higher ed looks like, you know, promises being made. All over the place, right? I mean, the president of Arizona State wrote a book called Designing the New American University, where he talks about the possibility of going to scale, educating thousands of people with very few professors, for example. There's all these kinds of online so-called innovations that people are proposing as the next big thing. And what they mostly do is they find a cheap way to offer more degrees. But times change. And I think, unfortunately, there are ways in which foreign policy guides higher education. And as we're now facing both a crisis of democracy and the new rivalries like China, there's more talk about reinvestment in things like basic research, in things like the arts and sciences. So we could be in a transition moment where we could be sort of refocusing on some of the, what had been the core purposes mm. of universities. But mm. I don't know. Historians are very bad about the future. We're good on the past. So I have been given the power to appoint you as the czar of the future of higher education. And you can do anything you want and whatever you say goes. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> So what are some things we might do to revive the kind of higher education that you're talking about? Well, so first I would say the lowercase d Democrat in me would never want to be czar. Okay. <laughs> um, going back to an earlier comment, I would create a committee. <laughs> and we'd work it out. But process aside, what would I try to get that committee to do? Well, one of the things I argue in my book, What's the Point of College, which also came out in the Chronicle, was to abolish the business major. Hmm. And to me, in a time when there are all these big, significant proposed changes for higher ed that would transform the institutions totally, this seems to me a simple and effective way to improve education quality. And the reason I say that is business is now the largest major in the United States, but there's not a lot of evidence that it does a lot of good. Studies that measure student learning suggest students don't do that much better. Studies that measure salaries suggest you can get the same place with political science or philosophy. And so what the business major does in a way is allow students to get a college degree while evading the arts and sciences, evading a college education. So one of the things I would say is a simple, effective thing to do is say, you know what, because of the civic goods, the personal goods, and the economic good that comes out of an arts and sciences major, encourage more students to major in things like history, literature, poli-sci, sociology, psychology, math, biology, physics, because they can still go ahead, and business leaders have said this since the 50s, they can mm. still go ahead and perhaps even be better 
contribute even more to the economy if they majored in some of these subjects. So I guess that would be the one simple fix, if there was one, would be to stop this kind of loophole. So as part of that dilemma, the fact that as higher education, not communicating that reality in an effective way that people can understand? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things that happened. I think we're not communicating that. Two, business schools are very integrated with employers. Mm. So if the university did some of that integration for all students, you know, one of the advantages of business major, which is the internships would be gone or it would be available to all students more effectively. So students could explore potential careers and get job experience and references and things like that and start to build networks. But the real thing it does, I think philosophically, it presumes that the purpose of learning is instrumental and vocational and the content of learning doesn't have to be intellectual. Mm -hmm. And that goes to me against the very purpose of college. And I think you're right. We could communicate that more effectively. You know, in my College in America class, which is an introductory class, when we do salary surveys, I have students explore various salary surveys and, you know, the data is mixed and messy. Um, relationship to major to salary. And I try to point out one that means a lot depends on your choices, not your major. But they're always surprised. They're like, wait, it's not as clear as I thought. And the overlap between most majors is greater than the differences. And for some students, this is liberating. I can do whatever I want. And if I decide I want to be successful in business, I can still be successful in business. If I decide I don't, I can still have these other choices. I'll be better prepared for grad school, that kind of thing. For others, it can bring them to tears because they think they know what's the right choice. And actually, it's just so much more confusing. It's not that simple linear path from major to job to salary that they imagine. And it's disrupting. As you describe that, I think of three different things. One is movies that have been made over the past 20 years where there's a college-age student and somebody says, what are you majoring in? And they say, philosophy or history. And it's like, what are you going to do with that? The second one is the fallacy, I think, that college students in their minds have a sense of exactly what they're going to do when they graduate, the kind of job they're going to pursue yeah. that yeah. will last them for the rest of their lives. And the third one is, for most of our students, many of the jobs they're going to be doing don't even exist yet. Right. So being a good thinker, being a good learner, probably better equips them than anything else. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I joke about is I say, you know, most jobs are not er jobs. Most people are not lawyers, teachers, professors, ministers, <laughs> doctors, engineers, right? <laughs> and we think, you know, most people get a job at a company or a nonprofit or a government agency. They develop some skills, realize they like it or don't, use those skills and what they're experienced to try something else or to move up a ladder. And next thing they know, they're an expert in something that they didn't even know existed, you know? And if they like it, they found a way to flourish. Mm. And you're right. Like, with few exceptions, life is not you get off the college train, cross the platform, and there's another train waiting that's just your whole life ahead of you, right? And we've created a sort of false expectation, not only that it is that way, but also that's what success looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I have to tell my students sometimes, you know, go get an apartment in Denver. <laughs> you know, and try to get an internship and wait tables. And they're like, what will my parents say? Well, right. I said, you know, but you figure it out. It's okay not to know, you know. And I maybe those to... kind of experiences should be required. Right. <laughs> I used to be the one to send out the six-month-out survey 
when it was mail, literally licking envelopes and and then doing it in a digital fashion a few years later. But anyway, one of the questions on there is, and left for the student to decide, are you working in a field of your choice? That's what came to mind when you were describing what you were, is that for some students, yes, if it wasn't that er job that you described and it didn't clearly, you know, I, I went to school for psychology and I didn't become a psychologist, then I'm not working in my field. And then somehow that's like, takes them down a notch, you know, on the survey. And it takes, and even for the program, it looks bad for the program. But in reality, that psychology degree was put in place somewhere else and could be used in an amazing way. So it's just hard to, even how we measure it. Yeah. Sometimes people say to me when I meet them, I don't really use my college degree. I'm like, you use it every day. Mm. Every time you're thinking, Mm -hmm. every time you're writing, every time you're processing information. Sometimes you could just tell like the things you think about, they're all shaped by the sort of fertilizing experience of college. And so it wasn't supposed to get you into job A or B or C, (laughs) but it was supposed to endow you with the capacity to be successful, right? And if you think of that survey, Tiffany, what are you doing now? And is it related to your major? And if they say no, it's they feel like they failed because they are not preparing what they want to do. And then we feel like we failed them because they're not doing what they wanted to do. That's right. Yep. And back to career development days, I was thinking about, you were talking about having internships assigned to those business majors, like really rich internship experiences assigned to them. And it's true. I don't mean to call anybody out, but we have a centralized career development office where we do have connections for everybody. But each program and each school has their own set of contacts (laughs) and internship opportunities that they hold very near and dear, right? (laughs) It's true. It's true. At least here. It's so tricky. But when it comes down to it, why can't our philosophy and our history students engage in some of those meaningful partnerships that Mm -hmm. we have with businesses? Because they are potentially going to work in Mm -hmm. business. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, most people work in business. If we think of business as a private sector, right? Of course, most people work in business or government or possibly the nonprofit sector, but doing kind of what business defines, which is various kinds of activities that provide goods and services, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of how we contribute to society for most of us and almost all mm-hmm. of us, right? And, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. That helps our world work. <laughs> yeah, it's a premise that your major, especially in the arts and sciences, is supposed to be vocational when it's a non-vocational degree, but that doesn't mean it doesn't prepare you for a career. And trying to make that clear to students is really hard. And the rhetoric is against us. The sort of dominant rhetoric doesn't lead that. But I would love there to be more opportunities for students to explore internships during the summer if they can afford it. The schools could, there are ways to help students with stipends and things. And to be fair, a lot of students, even if we try to get them to do it, they don't, right? And I think that's okay too. That that goes back to like, okay, now move to Denver and get an apartment. (laughs) You know, like people can fumble around for a couple of years finding where they want to start. It's okay. It doesn't actually mean they've wasted an education. Well, we'd like to encourage you to continue writing those articles and thought pieces that that make us think and make us wrestle with what we're doing. Three other pieces of advice for you. One is to be particular, use your imagination, and show empathy. (laughs) (laughs) I will try. You know, those reminders are on my wall because it's easy to forget. Amen. (laughs) I wonder where you're going with that, Brad. You scared me for a minute. Yeah, I did too. You really have three things. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is there any indication of what you'll be writing next? I don't know. To be determined. 
Yeah, to be determined. Maybe a book on committees. Mm. Um, <laughs> there you go. Committees and democracy, starting with the committees of correspondence and safety during the revolution. Excellent. You know? Excellent. Written by um, a committee. <laughs> written by a committee. Oh my gosh, I don't know if I could even do that. But <laughs> I joke, but I think, you know, what time where our norms are tested and our institutions are being tried, things like local school boards or local nonprofits mm -hmm. or voluntary associations or all these kinds of committees that proliferate are places where people both can contribute to the public good and develop democratic norms. And it's the sort of boring stuff that makes democracy work. And I think that matters more than ever right now in Absolutely. a certain way. So yeah. I may not write about committees, but I'm all for them now. <laughs> <laughs> Just give it a controversial title and you'll get plenty right. of people to pay right. attention. And <laughs> We'll be looking in the Chronicle of Higher Ed yeah, or elsewhere. Right. <laughs> it won't be called the joy of committees. Probably, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a wonderful conversation and I feel enriched by being with this guy. Me too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun and I appreciate the opportunity. To all of our listeners, we have links to the work that Johan Neem has done on our website, digitaltolearn.com with a numerical two. And Join us next week for our next guest on the Digital to Learn podcast. See you then. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning. <laughs>